It's something for nothing. The Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jer, I'm very, very emotional today for two reasons. Hormones? Well, three reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Hormones. We're doing the last episode where we talk about an album. Yeah, I know. You're emotional? I'm scared to death. You're scared to death? Well, the other thing I'm emotional about is just this ending to Clockwork Angels is just emotional, for me at least. Yeah, yeah, of course. The Garden. Very emotional song. Absolutely. You can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are at TheRushCast. Email Jerry, TheRushCast at gmail.com. Lex did the bass intro and outro. The Garden, of course. Subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast app. And you said you were terrified of what, Jer? Uh, the future? I don't know. What am I terrified of? <laughs> Growing old? Did you just say you were scared of something? <laughs> well, it's just that we have no more studio albums to fall back on. There was, I think I said this on the first of our Clockwork Angels episodes where you know, there was always, if we didn't have something in mind to do for a podcast, we always thought, oh, we'll just do Clockwork Angels, right? And now we're playing without a net. That's right. We're the Wolendas <laughs> <laughs> on a windy day. <laughs> Maybe we should have them on. That might be a good podcast. What do you think? I don't know. The joke was that they fell from that building, Steve, that was, <laughs> and died. <laughs> so I don't know how many Wolendas are left. <laughs> there has to be some offspring somewhere. There must be. There must be. That are Rush fans? Sure. So, Jerry, you got an email for us to get us started on this final Clockwork Angels voyage? Sure. This one is actually about uh, Primus's A Tribute to Kings show. Oh, wow. We haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen it yet. Hopefully, this person has. Uh, yes, Jeffrey has. He says, I just saw Primus last night at the Coca-Cola Roxy in Atlanta. How's that for a name? The Coca-Cola Roxy. That's a cool place to see Primus. And I thought I would send a few thoughts about their performance of A Farewell to Kings. First off, they played for about an hour of just Primus material and then had an intermission. Tim Alexander had a very early pure desk drum kit with double bass and all the chimes and percussion behind him. Larry Lalonde came out with a white Gibson, like the one that Alex played in the late 1970s, and Les Claypool had a Rickenbacker, of course. Lalonde started out with the acoustic opening of A Farewell to Kings while the others came on stage, including Les in a black kimono. The (laughs) band sounded great through all the songs, with the exception of Les's voice, which just couldn't sing the high notes like Getty. And in fact, a lot of stuff he sang in a lower octave. His bass was really cranked up in the mix, which was great because it sounded awesome and really resembled Getty's tone. They jammed out the ending of Closer to the Heart a little, but not like Rush did. They did more of a call and response with the crowd on the course. I thought the best performance was Cygnus X1, which was really in the primus wheelhouse of weirdness. I really enjoyed the whole show, even more than just listening to their albums, and the crowd was really into it. I would recommend Primus, even if they weren't doing Rush tributes, and you haven't listened to them very much. They have a really unique, heavy, and funky sound, and were a lot of fun to watch and listen to. Jeff. Awesome. That's something we have to look forward to. Yeah, I think we're seeing the show, what is it, September 28th? Do I have the date right? Well, I'm seeing them twice. Yeah, it's the 28th. I'm seeing them on the 25th, and then I think you, me, and Lex are going on the 28th, right? That's right. At the Beacon. You're going to see them before me? Yeah, I'm going to see them at the Stone Pony. Ah, all right. Sorry. Well, you can't ruin it for me. Yeah, I won't tell you what Rush songs they play. (laughs) Let that be a surprise. 
All right, well, we got to jump right back into Clockwork Angels, Jerry. We've got four more tracks to go, mm-hmm. and we'll start with Headlong Flight. So, Jared, why don't I start with Neil's quote from the liner notes. Okay. Thinking back over my life and telling stories about my great adventures, they didn't always feel that grand at the time. But on balance, I wouldn't change anything. In the words of one of our great alchemists, Frederick Gruber, I wish I could do it all again. (laughs) Freddy Gruber. (laughs) That's kind of cool. I didn't know he was an alchemist. No, he's a drum alchemist. (laughs) Do you think he got that line from Freddie? Oh, I don't know. I just thought it was a, a cool nod to his mentor. Yeah, and I, I think that maybe, maybe Freddie coined that phrase, I wish I could do it all again. Yeah, maybe. Referring to his life. Yeah, it's possible. Interesting. So I've got a quote from Alex, as I have this entire album, Jar. This is from the Music Radar article I've been quoting. We started riffing and got into a really great long jam. It must have been hours. There were a million little parts flying around, all in the same key, E standard tuning. Afterward, we cut it up into pieces, took the things we liked, and moved them over to someplace else. And then we listened to it, and we were like, oh my God, we've got something really cool happening here. (laughs) Should we make it an instrumental? But we decided that on this record, for the first time in a very long time, we weren't going to have an instrumental. Yeah, I can't imagine this song as an instrumental. I, mean, I guess I can imagine this song as an instrumental now that I think about it. Oh, sure, sure. Can you imagine jamming for hours? Sounds like heaven, doesn't it? If I was Getty and Alex, I could imagine it. If I was me, <laughs> no. And I've got one more quote for you, Jer. Getty tells Rolling Stone, Alex and I had a blast jamming in my home studio one day before the second leg of the Time Machine Tour, and I did not revisit that jam until a year later. Wow. Alex and I assembled the song to be an instrumental, and its original title was Take That Lampshade Off Your Head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would have really stuck out on the album, right? You think? All these serious songs about these weighty (laughs) topics, and then it's an instrumental toward the end called Take That Lampshade Off Your Head. (laughs) But once we saw the lyrics Neil Peart had written, I knew that the spirit of the lyrics matched the instrumental perfectly, and it was just a matter of making them fit and writing the melodies. (laughs) (laughs) Cooler heads prevail, thank God. I don't know why I'd never heard that before. No, neither have I. That's classic. Take that lampshade off your head. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jared, this 
we've talked about this before. This is the most Rush-like Rush song in history, don't you think? I think it is. I mean, it would be up for debate whether or not it's my favorite Rush song, but it is the most Russian Rush song that exists, I think. It kind of encapsulates everything that the band is all in one song. Yeah, it takes little pieces of everything they do great and puts it into seven minutes of pure fury. It really is incredible. And I talked about on our Roll the Bones episodes a long time ago, if I were going to play a Rush song for somebody that had never heard Rush before, what song would I choose? And at the time I said Dreamline, but I'm thinking I'm changing my mind. I'm going to go with this one. What do you think? You're going to go with this one? Yeah. This might be a little too much for the novice. (laughs) There's too much Rush in this song, I think, for someone who... I know, but if you can't take this, then you're never going to take Rush at all, right? I guess. You might want to, you know, ease them in on the baby <laughs> roller coaster first before taking them on El Toro. Start with Dreamline like I planned and then throw yeah, this at maybe. them? maybe. Jeez. This song, first of all, listening to this song, it sounds like it's never going to end, right? Mm-hmm. It just, this song could go on for 20 minutes and I'd be perfectly happy with it. It seems like it does, though. It does. Well, it's, it's, a, it's seven minutes long, seven minutes and 20 seconds or something like that. And it is just pedal to the metal, uh, foot to the floor the entire way. This song is insane. Really is. And I guess it makes sense that pieces of them were pulled from this crazy jam because they listened to the however many hours of tape they had or whatever and just pulled out all the greatest nuggets that they came up with during that time. And that's exactly what this song sounds like, right? It's just nugget after nugget. And it all fits together so perfectly. I have no idea how they do that. How do they take little jams from different times they were in the studio and then put them all together and they all fit? I don't get it. Alchemy, Steve. Alchemy. 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 That must be it. Now, this song is about Owen Hardy looking back fondly at his great adventure in life, right? Yes. But could it also be... Getty, Alex, and Neil looking back fondly at their great adventure? I would imagine. I mean, that's the first thing you would think of. At least that's the first thing I think of. I don't know how autobiographical it is. We've talked about that before, about whether or not some of these songs are autobiographical Mm -hmm. or not. But it definitely can be read that way. Absolutely be read that way. As we go through the lyrics, I think there are some parts in here that are definitely autobiographical for Neil. Again, it's the, the, that's the thing that we want to do, right? Is to, Assume when we when we talked to Kevin J. Anderson, mm-hmm. you asked him whether or not he would do it all over again, you know? And he said that Neil, when they had that conversation, Neil said he wouldn't want to live it all over again. Right. So maybe it's not as autobiographical as we think. But I think parts of it are. That line, I think, maybe it was Freddie Gruber's line. Maybe he wishes he could do it all again. Right. Kevin Anderson said he would do it all again. Yeah, that's true. Neil wouldn't. What do you say we go through the lyrics? I was thinking we should just talk about how incredible the first, I don't know, like two minutes of this song is before the lyrics even come in. Okay, go ahead. Oh, me? I've got to start? <laughs> um, well, first of all, we get this bass line, right? That starts it off. But then we get another bass line. Yeah. Right? There's like double bass. It's like basses stacked on top of each other, right? And then when Neil and Alex kind of just rumble in together, this song is one of the heaviest songs on the album, if not one of the heaviest songs in their entire discography. And again, the riff makes the song for me. 
Yeah. The riffs on this record, you said it last episode, I think. They're just riff-tastic. They are. They are. And right before the lyrics come in, Alex gets a little little bit of me time, right? Mm-hmm. He just has this the guitar playing, but then Getty and Neil are, you yeah. know, just kind of, kind of thing that Lex was talking about, how he picked up on the fact that Getty will play the same, I don't know, cymbal strikes or, or mm-hmm. bass drum hits that Neil plays. And that's exactly what they do right there. This song is insane. It's a tour de force is what it is. That's the, yeah, tour de force. Tour the French I was looking for. de force. <laughs> <laughs> tour de force be with you, Jar. Thank you. And also with you. All the journeys of this great adventure, it didn't always feel that way. I wouldn't trade them because I made them the best I could. And that's enough to say. I like the way you read that because that's how it should be read. That's not how it's sung, right? <laughs> I wouldn't trade them because I made them the best I could. Yeah. Right. He doesn't sing it that way, but that's what he's, that's what it means is that I, even during the worst parts of his life, he's trying to make the best out of things. Some days were dark. I wish I could live it all again. Some nights were bright. I wish I could live it all again. And I like the, the opposites there. Yeah. Days and nights and dark and bright. Mm -hmm. You know, the days were dark but the nights were bright the opposite of what they are normally, obviously. But, um, people seem to have more fun at nighttime. Don't they Steve? <laughs> well, other people, maybe, I don't know about me, but Owen Hardy had a lot of ups and downs in the clockwork angels book. Yep. And I think Neil had ups and downs in his life too. So this could be autobiographical. Perhaps it could be, like I said, that's what we, that's what we want to do. That's what I always do. I mean, Neil, especially, he had a lot of dark days, a lot. Yeah, that's true. And a lot of bright days, a lot. True. His life was an emotional roller coaster, really, if you think about it. Yeah, I know. And I can see why Neil, Neil himself wouldn't want to live it all again, because those dark times are, are tough. Yeah, those were some of the, the worst times somebody could have. Yeah. Some of the worst things anybody can go through. Because if you're going to live it all again, you've got to live the dark times and the light times, right? Right, yeah. So I, I can see why Neil felt that way for sure. So then we get into all the highlights of that headlong flight, holding on with all my might. And the way Getty sings this is just phenomenal, <laughs> really. I, I know, I know. To what I felt back then, I wish I could live it all again. And Getty is just wailing. Love it. Yeah. This song is is nearly impossible for me to sing along with, because I can't hold those notes as long as he does. I run out of breath halfway through. Now, this is the part that I love the most in the song, when it gets into this, is it a bridge, I guess? I'd call it a bridge, I guess. Chorus? Yeah, maybe, maybe. But it definitely, this song like slows down by like half, it seems like. Mm-hmm. It's really a, 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 an interesting choice to slow the song down so much without losing any of its energy. And Alex pulling out the acoustic guitar here is just, yeah. it's just incredible just how the song takes a turn. And like you said, the momentum continues, even though they kind of grind it to a halt. I don't even know how they do it. I don't know either. And it's, it's at this part, you know, he's, this is where he starts reminiscing, right? 
yeah. about what he actually did. I have stoked the fires on the big steel wheels, steered the airships right across the stars. I learned to fight. I learned to love and learned to feel. Oh, I wish I could live it all again. So this is sort of like the dreamy part of the song. Mm-hmm. And that's why it slows down a little bit. And just in the first time that we hear this section, Alex is isolated and then it builds yep. to that rush moment that I love. It's not a silence moment, but just I stoke the fire. Bang, you know? Yeah, I know. And it's just fantastic. And then we get Alex by himself again for just a, a second. Mm-hmm. Like bridging the gap between the chorus and the verses again. This song is like pure genius. Pure genius. All the treasures, the golden glory. It didn't always feel that way. I don't regret it. I never forget it. I wouldn't trade tomorrow for today. Yeah. Not that he'd rather not, but he would rather focus on now mm-hmm. than later. Right. Which is a very, very, very hard thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> to not think about tomorrow or even 10 minutes from now. Live in the moment. Yeah. It's, it's, for me, it's like nearly impossible. I'm a very restless person. And uh, it's very, very difficult to do for me. Now... Leading into Alex's solo, there's just an epic Neil drum and Getty bass line kind of launch into Alex's solo, which is incredible. That's exactly what it is. It's a launch. It's a launch because <laughs> they just ju- it just uh, it just kind of jumps off, and then there's just like this space where Getty's playing, right, and mm-hmm. Neil is playing, and you can kind of you can visualize Alex. <laughs> like right. in the corner is <laughs> like balling up his fist is getting ready to, to rip it and it, this this whole section lasts for about two minutes it's just two minutes of crazy the craziest playing you've ever heard this rivals free will mm-hmm. the jam and free will yep it's like neck and neck with the jam and free will if you ask me and we talked a lot about how alex doesn't do a solo in every song because the song doesn't demand it but this song demands a ripping solo and that's exactly what alex does and he was he was right to do it yeah he's tearing it up right he's tearing that fretboard up the whole time he's not letting up for a second he tears this song a new one he does (laughs) he does and it needed it that's what (laughs) i mean again everything about this song is just such pure distilled rush goodness Mm-hmm. everything about it, the solo, that whole section is amazing. The three of them just kind of going off. Oh man, to be in the studio when they recorded this song. Nick Raskulenitz, he's the man. He was there. He's the man. He was there. He helped them create this too. So kudos to him. Right. And still toward the end, the song is still building even toward the end of the solo. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no release in sight with this song. It just continues to go and go and go and go. It almost builds and builds and builds and just kind of falls off a cliff at the end, just ends and you're gone. Right. You know, does that make any sense? No, I, yeah, I, I've listened to it a lot. So it does. (laughs) (laughs) Just leaves you hanging. Yeah. It leaves you hanging. Leaves you wanting more is what it leaves you. Yeah, like I said, this song could be 20 minutes long. Just the riffs and the bass 
I don't know where it could go. I would just listen to this song on repeat. It's like, it's so good. Seven minutes long, Steve. Yeah. It's one of the longest songs that they've done in a while. Now, the line that I think pertains most to Neil in this song is I learned to fight and learned to love and learned to steal. Didn't Neil talk about when he went to London meeting up with, I forget the guy's name now, somebody he met in London. Yeah. That taught him how to steal things. Sure. Purloin, perhaps. Was that his name? No. It means to, that means to like, oh, take something I, to steal. You're using big words, Joe. I don't, have, <laughs> I don't have that kind of vocabulary. I told you, you're the smart one. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. I don't remember the, the person's name either. But in the book, you know, the character has to do that too. He has to steal in order to stay alive, mm-hmm. to eat and things like that. But even through those bad times, he wishes he could do it all again because it makes him the person that he is. Yeah. All of our experiences make us who we are for better or for worse right yeah so i mean if you're going to go back and try to change things you wouldn't be the person like if you were to do that and go back and try to change it you could change things that made you the person that you are and then you wouldn't go back in time you know those those old chestnuts in movies where you change time so if you were to go back you'd have to live it all again the same way right or else you wouldn't end up in the same place very true to go back in time and and live it all again I keep circling back to Neil's trip to London. For whatever reason, I equate Owen hopping on the caravan to Neil going to London and having his adventure, which is, wasn't as crazy as Owen's, but still was formative for Neil. I think it's an easy line to draw. So yeah, I can see that. We're talking about this song being Rush's entire career, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I, when I hear this song, that's what I'm thinking of is their entire career. I'm sure the three of them had some great times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the road, going places, making all those great albums. I'm sure, you know, if you were to live any life over again, you'd want to live a life like that over again. I bet you, if you asked Getty or Alex, if they would live it all again, they would say yes. Yeah, it's entirely possible. Yeah. I don't see why you wouldn't. No. Neither do I. You get to be Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson. <laughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think they would live it all again unless they could do it with each other. Oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. But that's, so this is the thing I love about this song. It's like it, it is about, I think it's about the band, you know, mm-hmm. having these great adventures, doing these great things. And somehow they were able to, you know, just pack all of that information and all of those emotions and all of that feeling into this little seven minute long song. Like I said, it, it should be 20 minutes long considering how much is in it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's why I think it's just perfect rush. Perfect rush. That's the way to sum it up. We, yep. sh- we should have just led with that, Jaron, just been done I, with I it. I know. I know. We've been talking for 15 minutes about it. I should have <laughs> just said perfect rush and moved on to... <laughs> The next one. Uh, so at the end here, we've got the peddler part two, the ever wandering peddler. What do you lack? I think the answer now is nothing, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Let's move on to the next track of clockwork angels. Jar. It's a short one. BU to B two. Failed me now. The bright glow of optimism. 
So, Jared, those fateful words, Neil states in the liner notes, what do you lack? Spark an inner monologue about all that I have lost. No more boundless optimism. No more faith in greater powers. Too much pain, too much grief, and too much disillusion. Despite all that, I realize the great irony that although I now believe only in the exchange of love, even that little faith follows the childhood reflex that I was brought up to believe. Your thoughts, Jer? I have no idea really why this song is on here on this album. Really? I mean, I guess it, it works a little bit as, you know, just him realizing that he has to come to grips with what reality is really like and how his beliefs and how things were supposed to work don't really work for everyone. And at the end, he kind of realizes that his belief, just like mentioned here, has changed. He still has a belief, but he has a belief in something else. He has a belief in love. But I mean, it's just an odd little thing to throw in here, don't you think? It's just a transitional piece, I think. Yeah, it's just an odd little song to drop in. I have a quote from Nick Raskulenitz from Music Radar, the same article I've been reading from. It's completely different from the demo. The only thing that's the same is the vocal, and that was originally sung to a different piece of music. Because of that, it's got a really cool, weird feeling to it. There's no guitar or bass on it. We constructed it using different elements of instruments. Alex wrote a great string part and put keyboards on it. It's kind of a segue piece. Getty's vocal is almost bluesy on it. It's pretty special. Well, that makes a lot of sense. It does sound a little disjointed to me. It always sounds a little disjointed. Maybe that's why, because the vocals are recorded for a different piece of music. I mean, it's not, I don't mind it. It's just not the kind of song that, you know, you listen to. Yeah. You know what I mean? You listen to it while in, in the course of the album, but you're not going to be like, oh man, let me fire up U2B2. Now, I don't have a quote from Neil, unfortunately, but I do have a quote from Alex who says, this is a moment that's integral to the story for Neil. He really wanted to have it in there. The problem was we didn't know how to approach it musically. Getty had done a vocal with some other stuff that we'd written, but he wasn't happy with it, and neither was I. I decided to stay one night and pulled out all the music and just kept the vocal. I listened to it a bunch of times, and then I created something more rhythmic. It was less musical, but added a lot of tension. Mm. By the time we got to developing it, the acoustic guitars that I originally had on it were replaced by strings. We put on some bass pedals and stuff like that, but overall, we kept it quite simple. It's like a short chapter. Now, Alex said Neil really wanted this in there, but we still don't know why he really wanted it in there. Yeah. Do you want to go through the lyrics real quick? Sure. I was brought up to believe. Belief has failed me now. The bright glow of optimism abandoned me somehow. Belief has failed me now. Life goes from bad to worse. No philosophy consoles me in a clockwork universe. So do you think he's referring to the fact that the philosophy of both the watchmaker and the anarchist neither consoles him? Yeah, I think so. That's it exactly. Life goes from bad to worse. I still choose to live, find a measure of love and laughter and another measure to give. I still choose to live 
and give, even when I grieve. Though the balance tilts against me, I was brought up to believe. Right. At the beginning, he was brought up to believe in the watchmaker and everybody has mm-hmm. a, a place and you get what you deserve and those kinds of things. But he was really just brought up to believe in things. He was brought up to believe in hope and love and those kinds of things. And that's really what his belief is now. Yeah, he doesn't believe in any of the things he believed in before. And I think that's what this short piece is telling us. Right. But he still has his belief in things. He just has belief in different things now. Yes, exactly. So I think we figured it out. I think that's, that's why Neil probably thought it was very important to make this clear at this point in the story. Yeah. It's just, you know, I mean, I, I'm not really, I don't dislike it. I'm just saying that, that it's just a, an odd song to listen to on its own. Oh, I see. Well, it, it ties the story together. It does. But when you listen to Clockwork Angels, you skip it. I'll listen to it if I'm <laughs> listening to the whole thing. Sometimes I just listen to the whole album. Right, but when you have it on shuffle, it doesn't make sense. Exactly. Yeah, I, I would think, you know, if you were ranking all the Rush songs or Rush tunes, whatever we want to call them, this would be low on the list on its own. Yes, exactly. But within the context of the album, it makes a lot of sense. Yes. All right. I know I probably, I probably sounded like it. That's not what I was thinking at the beginning. I misstated my, my opinion at the very beginning. Okay. Well, I totally get you. The next track on Clockwork Angels, Jer, is Wish Them Well. All that you can do is wish them well. All that you can do is wish them well. Now, I think this one kind of gets forgotten because Headlong Flight is so amazing and The Garden is so amazing. This is in between, but another great song, I think. Yeah, no less amazing, this song, than the other ones. I want to start with a couple of quotes here. Alex from the Music Radar article. We always loved the lyrics, but this was a tough song to figure out. The first version that we had was so far away from this one. It was a little more ethereal with delays that were a la The Edge, too much so. We scrapped it and started working on something else that was quite different. And then we scrapped that too. It just wasn't right. It happens like that sometimes. You know when you're forcing it. And after the first two versions, we took a whole new approach with the straight fours and a very traditional chordal progression. It really suited the lyrics. The only person who can never be too much The Edge is The Edge. (laughs) (laughs) that's true i've got a quote from neil this is from cbc radio 2 program called the strombo show okay he says that wish them well they wrote three times and threw it away and it was the third version finally that pleased us all so all the way along the will was only fed by the inspiration we believe in this song 
But inevitably, when you get to the recording stage and the mixing stage, it might not be what you envisioned. So we all have those certain songs that, oh, I believed in that song. I thought it would be more. So it sounds to me like the guys weren't too thrilled, ultimately, with how this turned out. Is that what you take from that? No, I think, I think they weren't too thrilled with the way it started out the first few times. I think they were happy with it at the end. That's what I heard. Okay. All right. I thought maybe, maybe they weren't happy with it ultimately. Oh, I don't know how they could not be. This song is so amazing. I don't know how anybody couldn't be. All right. Here's uh, Neil's line from the liner notes. Victimized, bereaved, and disappointed, seemingly at every turn. I still resist feeling defeated or cynical. I've come to believe that anger and grudges are burning embers in the heart not worth carrying through life. The best response to those who wound me is to get away from them and wish them well. Your thoughts? Um, Alex's guitar in this song sounds like a gift from God. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> I love, especially, you know, after you know the chorus begins the song, but after that, the guitar that he's got going on for the, the verses, I don't know, man. So beautiful. So this song rekindles your religious beliefs, I guess, huh? Yes. <laughs> this song is the only thing. <laughs> there must be a God. Listen to this song. Listen to this guitar sound. <laughs> another great riff from Alex. That's what I wrote yeah. down. Just another incredible riff. And I love the vocal melody on this song. It might be my favorite on the album. Yeah, this is another catchy one. Like the Wreckers, this is one yeah. that sticks in your head, right? Absolutely. And the drums are just anthemic, pounding, incredible. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. It's Steve, I, it, yeah, incredible. Everything about this song. I love, I, let's just let's start going through the lyrics. I can't even, All right. can't even contain myself. Well, well, interestingly, the lyrics start out with the chorus, really, right? Yeah. All that you can do is wish them well. All that you can do is wish them well. And I love the way Getty sings this. Love it. I know. Again, here, here comes the actor. Yeah. It's amazing. He is the lead actor in this story. He is. He's playing the role of, of Owen Hardy and a whole bunch of other people too. Right. Spirits turned bitter by the poison of envy, always angry and dissatisfied. Even the lost ones the frightened and mean ones, even the ones with a devil inside. Yeah, you know, this song seems to me to be like a discussion of nature versus nurture. You know, because it, it seemed to say that some people, like the beginning of the next verse, I guess, it's the verse. Mm -hmm. Thank your stars, you're not that way. Turn your back and walk away. Don't even pause and ask them why. Turn around and say goodbye. You know, thank your stars, you're not that way. Makes right. me think that there's some people who are born a certain way and some people who are born mm -hmm. another way. And some people, like the anarchist, I suppose, is just born, you know, bitter. His spirits turned bitter by the poison of envy. <laughs> yeah. He just has that kind of outlook on life that makes him just a mean and envious person. That's what I was going to say, that the, the first verse sounds to me like he's describing the anarchist. Yeah. And then... He follows that up with, thank your stars, you're not that way. Yeah. Or he's not that way. Right. That 
but whoever, you know, however this person is, in, when he talks about, you know, thank you, your stars, it's, it seems like, you know, he has the power to just be forgiving mm-hmm. and to get on with his life and his life would be better for it. And all of our lives would be better if we could do that. That's a tough thing to do. Yeah, I know. I still hold grudges against you, Steve. You don't even know. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> Jerry. Jerry who judges without a measure of mercy. All the victims who will never learn. Even the lost ones you can only give up on. Even the ones who make you burn. Yeah, that's rough, man. People who judge without a measure of mercy. That's a real rough description of you, Jer. <laughs> it is. <laughs> How does he know me so well? <laughs> you know, but thank, thank your stars. You're not that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. so, it's so interesting. That's people who judge without a measure of mercy. Boy, that's, that's, man, he's, he's saying something really deep there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Alex's solo shows up here now in a really weird spot. It's almost like in the middle of the song, right? Right. That's, I said the same thing, but it is. <laughs> The solo into the bridge, it's so beautiful, though. Yeah, and the bridge is, is amazing. The ones who've done you wrong, the ones who pretended to be so strong, the grudges you've held for so long, it's not worth singing that same sad song. So stop holding those grudges against me, Jerry. <laughs> right there, I think that singing that same sad song, I think that's a reference back to the anarchist the song the anarchist yeah he says is there time and whatever he says is time and space enough for me to sing my song mm-hmm. i'm saying that's that song that must be what he's talking about yeah you know it's not just not worth it he's telling the anarchist it's just not worth it holding on to these things but how beautiful is this this piece here the way the way he sings it just the music too yeah mm. Mm. this is a tasty tune steve yeah it really is this last grouping of songs on this album are really amazing, really amazing. And you know, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Now I think the next chorus is the one where the rush moment comes in. Getty says, say goodbye, turn around and say goodbye. And then yep. Little pause and bang. Right. All that you can do. It's just, (laughs) I just love, I love that stuff. I love it. I know you do. And then we've got the last set of lyrics here. Even though you're going through hell, just keep on going. Let the demons dwell. Yeah. Just wish them well. Yeah. It's a lesson for all of us, Jared, this song. It's what it is. I know. But will we learn it, Steve? I don't know. You've been holding these grudges against me forever. <laughs> you'd think you'd let them go and just wish me well, but you don't. That's, that's it right now. I'm going to let them all drop to the floor. Listen, listen for the sound. As they drop to the ground. Bang. They're gone. We've got one more song, Jer, on Clockwork Angels and in Rush's catalog. Can you believe we've talked about, what, 169 songs by now? Possibly. Is that how many it's been? I think so. This is the final one. The Garden. In this one of many possible worlds I'll fall the best or something's our test It is what it is And whatever Time is still the infinite jest The arrow 
mentioned this before, Jarrah, a fitting end to Rush's catalog, a fitting end to this album. I'm going to read from Neil's liner notes first. Long ago, I read a story from another timeline about a character named Candide. He also survived a harrowing series of misadventures and tragedies, then settled on a farm near Constantinople. Listening to a philosophical rant, Candide replied, that is all very well. But now we must tend our garden. I've now arrived at that point in my own story. There is a metaphorical garden in the acts and attitudes of a person's life. And the treasures of that garden are love and respect. I've come to realize that the gathering of love and respect from others and for myself has been the real quest of my life. And I can't help thinking, Jared, that Neil's speaking for himself here. Yeah, of course he is. You would think so. You know, I have, um, I read Candide in college and I still have my copy of it and I busted it out recently to read it before talking about this song, mm-hmm. but I, I couldn't finish it. <laughs> 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 it's a really short book and I'm like, oh man, I'll just plow through this book in a night. But you know, it's one of, it's one of those books that you, I don't know, you need to have a structure around it to finish. Do you know what I mean? Right, like a, a book you would read in college because you kind of have to, and you know you have to discuss it or whatever. But I just, I just couldn't finish it for some reason. Just shows your level of dedication with this podcast, Jar. <laughs> is really low. It is really. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I know. See, and that's another grudge right there. I'm gonna hold that forever. <laughs> Alex from the Music Radar article: The Garden was one of the first songs we came up with for the record. That surprises me. That's very surprising. Actually, Ged wrote most of it. He did some work one evening, and I came in the next day and heard that opening bass part in the verse. The idea was that we would keep it simple and heartfelt. The sentiment was very much about beginning at the end, of being retrospective, so there had to be a sweetness to it. And uh, he goes on to say that Nick was a little wary of it getting too sweet, however. The demo was very acoustic. The piano parts were there, as were the strings but everything was kind of soft. Nick wanted us to toughen it up some more. So he stepped in a little bit more on the bridges and choruses. It doesn't have the light strumming of the verses. And we developed the whole middle section. The solo is one of my favorites. And geez, ours too, right? Yeah. It's so suited to the rest of the music. When I listen to it, my eyes well up with tears. There's something about it that grabs me, the way it fits in with the rest of the music. So 
I mean, Alex feels the same way we do about this song, it seems. <laughs> I because I get teary-eyed listening to this all the time. I get goosebumps here in the, the solo every time. You know, you, you talk about Limelight being your favorite Alex solo. This might have to be my favorite Alex solo. I wrote down this solo is second only to the solo in Limelight. Look at that. I'm me. reading your mind. You are reading my mind. So Getty's bass line at the beginning is so pretty and so perfect. Lex did a great job of recreating it for this episode. Yeah. Just one of my favorite bass lines from Getty. This is definitely the most beautiful Rush song, without a doubt. It's surprising to me that they wrote it first, but it seems that they wrote it first with the intention of it being the last song. Yeah, I mean, they must have known the whole story, right? Yes. And where they wanted the story to end up. Cause just no way that you could just <laughs> pull this song out of, out of nowhere and be like, Hey, let, boy, this, this happens to fit exactly the emotions that we need. You have to like really dig deep for this song. Yeah. It's just a beautiful, beautiful song. And uh, musician Jason Snyderman plays the piano on this song. Okay. Getty wrote the piano part, but they had, Jason come in and play it on a Steinway and you can hear that. Yeah. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. What an interesting thing to drop in the middle of the song, right? Yeah. It just really, it really, that's, you know, it's the, the, the heart of the song is that part. Cause then after that comes the solo. And I do have a quote on the solo actually from Nick Raskulenitz. If you want to hear it. Of course I do. The Alex Lifeson guitar solo you hear on the record is the original one he recorded for the demo. That's the demo guitar solo. What you're hearing is Alex by himself. He's at Getty's house. It's late at night. I think Getty was sleeping on the couch, and he's just playing a guitar solo. When you get something that great, it's not a demo anymore. There wasn't even a discussion to try and do it again. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how many times do you have to hear Alex just did the solo once and it was perfect? Right. I don't know. I don't know, man. That's just pure, pure genius. Pure genius. Shall we go through the lyrics? Can we get through these without choking up? That's the question. Uh, well, let's see. Let's see. In this one of many possible worlds, all for the best or some bizarre test. It is what it is, and whatever. Time is still the infinite jest. Um, I don't remember in the story, he comes across that bookshop, and he reads a book that was written by someone who had the same name as his mother. Yes, I do remember that, yes. And the bookseller tells him it's, it's, like, it's a book from like another timeline or another mm -hmm. you know, pocket universe or something like that. So I think that's what he's referring to here. And he realizes that, this isn't the only way that his life could have ended up. Right. You know, he just happens to be living this one. Right. In one of many possible worlds. That's the kind of thing when you start thinking about stuff like that, just, you know. Yeah. It's crazy to think about. It is. And time is still the infinite jest. Infinite jest, you know, is a, is a book by this guy, David Foster Wallace that uh, I don't think anyone has ever finished. It's a really, really big book. <laughs> I you don't have a commitment about, to anything, do you, Jared? <laughs> I, I read about half of it. 
It was really good, but I just, it was, it, Steve, this book is so long. You know who finished it? Yeah, Neil. Um, <laughs> it has footnotes and end notes. I mean, I had like three or four different bookmarks while reading this book. But Infinite Jest, the, the, the phrase Infinite Jest is from Hamlet in the, I don't know if you know, the, the famous uh, graveyard scene where he says he finds the skull and he's like, alas, poor York. I knew him, Horatio. Do you know that line? No. Oh. Well, Hamlet's in the cemetery with a grave digger and the grave digger is digging up a grave and it happens to be Hamlet's old friend, this guy York, right? And the line goes, alas, poor York, I knew him, Horatio, a fellow of infinite jest, of most excellent fancy. He hath borne me on his back a thousand times and now how abhorred in my imagination he is. So it's like he, he was a man of infinite jest, but obviously... His life wasn't infinite, right? His life mm-hmm. was finite and he turned into a terrible, you know, skeleton. So like life is an infinite jest. It's, it's just a joke played on everyone. Time is still the infinite jest. Right. Time is, a, it just will turn us all into skeletons or whatever. <laughs> the way Getty is singing here, I mean, his vocals on this song could be his greatest vocal performance ever. Yeah, it's definitely a candidate for it. The arrow flies when you dream. The hours tick away. The cells tick away. The watchmaker keeps to his schemes. The hours tick away. They tick away. And the way Getty says those lines is just phenomenal. Yeah. This song might be the best encapsulation in a song about just growing old. Yeah. You know what I mean? In like, how many words is this? You know, the hours tick away, they tick away. And the arrow flies when we dream. The arrow is something, I think is a reference to something called the arrow of time, which is like a philosophical concept about why time only moves forward. You know, time is a dimension, just Mm -hmm. like the other three dimensions. But unlike the other three dimensions where you can go in any direction, you can only go in one direction when it comes to time. You can only go forward. And the question is why, right? So time is, the hour of time is always flying. When you're dreaming, while you breathe, whatever you're doing, time is always marching on. And now we get to the line that is probably the, one of the greatest lines Neil's ever written. Yeah. The measure of a life is a measure of love and respect. So hard to earn, so easily burned. <laughs> I mean, how true is that? Dude. Dude, how true is this? Oh. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> In the fullness of time, a garden to nurture and protect. Right. Which is what we should all be trying to tend, is this garden of love and respect, right? And how easily people just burn it to the ground. Right. In a nanosecond. Right. How any of us could do it at any time, I suppose. Yeah. It's true. It is. It's a little scary if you think about it. Yeah, it is. So easily burned. It is easily. It is. Yeah. I mean, just think of how many famous people or politicians or whatever, you know, they work their entire lives for something and then be like, oh, you did this crazy, stupid thing. What'd you do that for? You know what I mean? Yeah. And and we talk about Alex's solo and how great it is, but the guitar in that chorus is so beautiful too. Yeah. 
Incredible. And the rise and the set of the sun till the stars go spinning, spinning round the night. It is what it is and forever. Each moment a memory in flight. Just beautiful. Yeah, it's just a beautiful description. And then we get to the first part said the arrow flies when you dream. This line says the arrow flies while you breathe. Yeah. The hours tick away. The cells tick away. The watchmaker has time up his sleeve. The hours tick away. They tick away. So first the watchmaker keeps to his schemes. Now the watchmaker has time up his sleeve. Right. He's kind of playing the long game. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is why I, th- I think, I don't know if I, I probably mentioned it earlier on. We talked about it. How the watchmaker is like a proxy for God, right? Right. And he has all the time in the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter. He's just going to be up there doing his thing. Everybody else has to live their life and get old. And the watchmaker has time up his sleeve. He's just this extra, extra time to play out his schemes. The hours take away for us, but they don't take away for the watchmaker. Right. So the last part of the lyrics, Jared, the future disappears into memory with only a moment in between forever dwells in that moment. Hope is what remains to be seen. And the way Getty sings this, it's so emotional. This is where I tear up. I think this part. Yeah. Because that's, that's when the solo comes. Yeah. And just rips a hole in your head, in your heart. And to think that he did that on the demo, the first take. Right. And Nick's in the studio with them thinking, how the heck did he do that? Right. Right. We're not doing it again. That was perfect. Right. Don't even try. Why try? Could it get better than that? Really? No. So I got an email just today by a guy named David, and he was talking about the garden because i guess he heard the first episode that we released of clockwork angels okay so he wanted to talk to us about the garden but he had something interesting in here that i had never thought about before one thing i wanted to get your thoughts on the song where the future disappears into memory i believe owen dies in this moment and it's his transition into a memory as he no longer has a future i've always been curious if other rush fans had this thought as well Maybe this is a good Twitter poll. Huh. But what do you think about that? I don't know. I'm not sure what that means. The future disappears into memory. It's pretty self-explanatory to me. What's in the future will soon be the past, right? The things that have yet to happen will at one, one time be a memory. So the future is always disappearing into a memory. Every second that wasn't here is now behind us. Hope is what remains to be seen. Yeah, what do you think that means? Neil always, he, has, he uses the word hope in a lot of songs. What does it mean? Hope is what remains to be seen. Well, we have hope for the future, and the future remains to be seen. Yeah, I guess that's it. Is it as simple as that? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking it's as simple as that, right? It's just a, a real... Real great way to put it. It is. And a perfect ending line to this amazing song. It is. 
and the the song just the way it carries on after the solo and how it just ends with that single note on the cello mm. fades off into memory right exactly every time this song and when i'm listening to this album and the song ends i just don't even like move for like you know 30 seconds or something you know i was i'm always expecting something else for some reason to come up but that's it that's just the end of the song and it's such a beautiful song and the way it fades out i don't know it just gets me every time and it's like oh everything in that song is true yep and as we said it's the perfect ending to a perfect record yep perfect ending to a perfect career Yep, and a perfect last song for Neil Peart. Yeah, it. I just can't even imagine what it was like when they listened back to this album for the first time. Real, and when that song came out, there couldn't have been a dry eye anywhere. That's what Andy told us, right? Didn't Andy say in this in the in the booth when they were listening to it, there wasn't a dry eye? Yeah, and can you imagine now that Neil has passed, listening to this? Yeah. I can't imagine that they can even do it. No, not at all. I mean, we have a tough time enough doing it and we didn't know Neil. Yeah, it's true. So overall your thoughts, Jer, on clockwork angels, we've, we finally wrapped it up. Genius top 10 album, not top five album. It's so hard to, to place it. An unbelievable capstone to a career. I probably said this dozens of times, but it just, it's unimaginable that a band could put out as their last album after how many years together, 40 years together, this album as their last album. It's, it's insane. Here's a good question. We may have brought this up before. How many other bands have put out an album this good as their final album? Has there been another band that has done that? I'm just going to say no. That's all I'm going to say. Just no. How many bands have stuck around together for so long? Almost none. Right. Almost none. It's a good question. If you have another album that you think is on par with this as a final album, let us know. TheRushCast at gmail.com. Before we wrap up the episode, Jar, you know what I always do when we're done with an album? I give you a set list. Set list. That's right. This one was not suggested by Ray Warzniak. Okay. But it is October 26, 2012. I'm sure Ray was there. First <laughs> Niagara Center in Buffalo, New York, Ray's hometown. Sure. What do you think? Two sets. You know Rush did two sets. Mm -hmm. Subdivisions, The Big Money, Force 10, Grand Designs gets pulled out for this tour, if you recall. Yep. The tour premiere of Limelight on this tour was in Buffalo. Territories, The Analog Kid, Bravado, Where's My Thing, and Far Cry. And Neil did his drum solo within Where's My Thing. Then we get to set two, which features the Clockwork Angels string ensemble, Jer. Yep. Caravan, Clockwork Angels, The Anarchist, Carnies, The Wreckers, Headlong Flight, with another drum solo, Halo Effect, which is interesting that they played Halo Effect after Headlong Flight. 
Yeah. Seven Cities of Gold, which is not in the same spot as it is on the record. Yep. And The Garden. So that wraps up their Clockwork Angels songs. Then also with the string ensemble, we get Manhattan Project, Red Sector A, YYZ, and then without the Clockwork Angels string ensemble, they do the Spirit of Radio. Mm. For the encore, it's Tom Sawyer, and then three parts of 2112. Part one, Overture. Part two, Temples of Syrinx. And part seven, Grand Finale. Mm. Now that's a show. That's a show. You know, when uh, on this tour, I could have sat there and listened to them play the entire album. Oh, for sure. Which is totally rare because usually when you go to a show, you're just like, yeah, I don't really, maybe not, may not want to hear like the new stuff as much as I want to hear the old stuff. Not with Rush. Not with Rush and not this time. Definitely not this time. Yeah, I would have been thrilled if they played the whole record. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> they should have. Th- that is a crazy thing because you think about it. You go to see bands now, like a band that's been around for 40 years. The last thing you want to do is hear them play the new album. Right. I- I'm not going to even name names, but. Right. How many bands do you go see on their final tour or second to last tour and you want to hear the new album right you wish they had played more from the new album right (laughs) unheard of unheard of everything about rush is unheard of really if you think if you think about it you can find us on twitter we are at rush fancast instagram you can see jerry's photos that he posts at the Rushcast. email jerry the Rushcast at gmail.com the bass intro and outro, again, The Garden, that's Lex. He's amazing. Subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast app. And, Jer, I hope you have a great quote to wrap up an incredible Clockwork Angels album. You know what it's going to be, right? I do. The measure of a life is a measure of love and respect, so hard to earn, so easily burned. Thanks, Jared. This was awesome. All right. See you later. <laughs>